you got Problems that you ought to be concerned with Moolah You don't know how you're supposed to earn it Or what to do with it Or how to keep it You're a freak with a dark shameful secret But you're not the only one Get your hidden financial fears With a blast of sun Now your healing has begun It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn Welcome back to the show I'm Gabby Dunn Here with you in sickness and in wealth Till debt do us part just kidding. If debt were the reason for us to part, the show would have ended a long time ago, you guys. Fucking car loan. Fucking student loans. Okay, anyway, today's show is all about weddings. I am not one of those people who imagined their wedding or was particularly into weddings. If I do think about a wedding, I, I Google like like a white suit or something. I'm not entirely sold on what I would do there or if I would just look like the teen angel from Greece. But I just never understood why you spent so much money on them, why you poured so much money into it. And my theory was that I had a really great bat mitzvah and so maybe that was like that quelled my need for that party and people who don't have super big bat mitzvahs or quinceaneras or a party when they're teen sweet 16, whatever, they, they're like, this is my one chance to get this thing. Which is great and cool, um, but it's kind of in my face all the time because as people who watch my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash justbetweenusshow, and have heard earlier episodes with my comedy partner, Allison Raskin, who uh, appeared on season one, she loves weddings. She's obsessed with weddings. She loves engagement rings. She shows me engagement rings all the time. She is like super loves to be in weddings. She's about to be the maid of honor in a wedding and it's like the best day of her life. And I think that they're, like, awkward. A lot of the stuff about it is super awkward. You have to, like, get up in front of people and dance. And there's, like, uh, you know, even, like, proposal videos make me very uncomfortable because it's, like, just this big show. And I, I guess, like, I love love, but it just seems, like, very showy in this way that I, I don't know how I feel about. But... I also started thinking about weddings in a different way when gay marriage passed because I realized that as straight people are starting to get disinterested in weddings and disillusioned with weddings, gay people are finally able to throw the big, massive parties and shows of love that they've always wanted to throw. Um, a big thing that I think influenced my idea of weddings is that my mom, who we'll meet later, is a divorce attorney. So I grew up my whole life surrounded by divorce. My dad has a first wife. My Almost everyone in my family has earlier spouses than the one that I currently know. My mom was always just warning us about, you know, how sticky it can get, how much money can get involved, how much money can break up a marriage. And so that kind of put the kibosh on anything that would make marriage seem romanticized for me in any way. I can't figure out why you would spend $40,000 on a wedding, $30,000 on a wedding, why you would go into debt over a wedding. I had an ex-girlfriend who told me that when she, she got divorced from a guy and she is still paying off that wedding, even as she's married to another woman now. So it just seemed like a trap or something. But that's just my opinion, because the thing about weddings is as I've said, everyone feels differently about them and everyone puts their own stamp on them because by and large, people feel like they're really important. And you know who knows that more than anyone? 
the wedding industry, the wedding industrial complex. There's a vast network of profit-hungry emotional vultures out there just waiting to exploit the volatile psychological state that accompanies making the decision to share the rest of your life with another person. And this wedding industrial complex wants you to believe that making the decision to be with someone and involving your whole family means you also need themed bouquets and custom cocktails and bespoke cufflinks and monogram bagpipes and all of the above. But do you need all of that? Do you need to do everything that other people in your family tell you to do? Do you need to do everything that the wedding magazines tell you to do? Jasmine Lilly is the host of a podcast called Avowed, which asks how and why we get married in the modern world. She's also a professional baker who specializes in wedding pastries, so she thinks about this stuff a lot. Jasmine says the way we feel about weddings is changing, and that means the way we feel about how much we spend on them needs to change as well. I feel like... Love is sort of this thing that binds humanity and celebration of that love is timeless. But obviously what marriage is has changed pretty significantly, but we're still kind of operating under this antiquated institution. So I still think that there's a place for weddings and marriage in the modern world, but I think the important thing at this point is to examine what it's been and what it's becoming and just have more honest dialogue about how it's changing and how we can continue to evolve it. I guess my whole thing is trying to figure out like why people go into debt over over weddings, you know? Yeah, they go into debt, but also they go into emotional debt, which is like taking out money from your parents. And there's a lot of strings attached to that. I'm always advocating for people spending their money with intention. That's a huge part of what I'm talking about on my podcast is like just getting people to think more critically. And I think that a big part of how people end up spending so much money is because not only are they trying to live up to this fantasy that they have, that they've, you know, especially if they're a woman, more than likely they've been building that fantasy brick by brick since they were a little girl watching Disney movies or something. And then they're also negotiating the fantasy and expectation of their parents, specifically their mothers, who have a wonderful habit of living vicariously through their daughters. <laughs> and then they're also given this checklist by the industry, which is intended to streamline the process, but also to get the most money out of you in that situation. So if you haven't thought critically about what it is that you want and why you want it and why you're doing all of these things and making these decisions and spending money on those boutonnieres or whatever those little minuscule details are. If you haven't already thought about all of that stuff, it's really easy to just be like, it's easier to just check it off the list. And because to get it's it. romance, and, because who wants to think about money when it's love, you know? Yeah, which is a funny thing because, you know, historically, a wedding is actually like a business transaction. And then <laughs> somewhere along the line, it was like, oh, but it's romantic. And <laughs> And then that kind of um, overshadowed like the patriarchal exchange of female property. Yeah. Um, and and now we're living in this time where I'd almost like to see the reverse happen. Not, not that I want to see like women being sold to men by any means, but more like um, I'd love to bring back some of that business strategy to the equation and some of that critical thinking that comes with making a pragmatic decision in your life. So what do you think are some of the expenses people don't expect when they're getting married? I think the most expensive thing happens to be the first thing that people typically check off the list, which is your venue. And I just had a guest on the show 
named Katie Stoltz, and she started a company called Venues and Vows, which is sort of like the Airbnb of wedding venues. She started it because, yeah, it's actually, it's really cool. And so she started this company because like five of her friends got engaged at the exact same time. And she was, you know, experiencing their wedding planning process alongside them. And a lot of them were really frustrated trying to find wedding venues that were affordable and that would allow them to hire the vendors that they wanted to hire because a lot of these venues have a corner on the market. And so if they have an in-house DJ or an in-house caterer or they want to provide the alcohol, they're going to prohibit you from bringing any of that in. And then you're paying this premium price. Like she was telling me that one of her friends got married at a venue that charged $5 for a can of Bud Light. And they couldn't, yeah, I know, it's crazy. And they couldn't bring in any alcohol. And so, you know, if you live in a place with a limited amount of venues, you're going to end up paying a preposterous amount of money for things that, you know, if you were sourcing them elsewhere would cost significantly less. So what she does is she works with private residences. So people who have a ranch or an estate or, you know, whatever, and they are interested in renting it out kind of part time, but they don't want to commit to being a wedding venue, period, which is awesome for them, too, because then they don't have to invest in like a website and this like intense business plan and everything. They can kind of like dip their toe in the water and see how they like it. And then you can rent out this house that a bunch of your family and friends are staying at. And then you're also cushioning the cost by like your friends paying for their room and board while they're there. The reason that her business model and this concept is working well at this time is because people want wedding weekends. They want several days, like festival style, which I advocate for 100%. I think that putting all of your eggs in one basket is a really terrible idea, especially if you're expecting the basket to hold all of those eggs perfectly. Logistically, imagine what it's like to spend $30,000, which is the average that Americans spend on a wedding, um, $30,000 on an eight-hour experience, right? Like, And then break that down hourly, like how much money you're spending per hour for you and however many guests to experience this thing. Um, that's an insane amount of pressure to put on an eight-hour chunk of your life. Can you talk a bit more about the emotional toll? You said a little bit about like, you know, getting money from your parents comes with strings and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that people don't necessarily consider that when they're planning their wedding. Um, the thing that I hear the most from people in terms of what's frustrating about planning a wedding is when the peanut gallery chimes in. Um, <laughs> and they always do. And, you know, and I'm not just talking about like all of the advertisements that are suddenly going to start popping up on your Facebook when you're getting when you're engaged, which is right. almost immediately. It's super creepy. Um, you're gonna they get, start like, targeting you immediately. Immediately. It's crazy. So, yeah, you're going to get that. But you're also going to have your mother and your fiance's mother and your stepmother and your best friends and their mothers. And it's a lot of moms. I mean, men have a, men have opinions, but we don't kind of give them the space to voice those opinions, which is something that really drives me nuts in the wedding industry. Um, but regardless, you're going to have this cacophony of voices interjecting and telling you that you need to have this and you need to have that. And then you're also contending with pretty drastic generational differences. 
I mean, I also think if it's two men getting married, I think they have like two male incomes that they're just like throwing around to spend on stuff. And then like if it's two women getting married, a lot of times that's also its own. Like there's different levels of of like who. Yeah. Of like who gets to do what. Another piece of that, which I think feeds into it, what we're talking about is like. I hear from people a lot who are like, I just want everyone to be happy. I just want everyone to have a good time at my wedding. And it's like, first of all, people are going to be happy if there's food, booze, and music. That's like literally all you need for a great time. Um, Ask anybody who's ever thrown a party. And the rest of it is just a cherry on top, like a really super expensive, elaborate cherry. And if that's a cherry that you really want, like really want in your heart and your soul and it's going to make you happy then do it but like don't stress out about a tablescape because you want your guests to have a good time like how many weddings have you been to where you remember what the tablescape looked like I know but the whole wedding industry is kind of it's meant to be like you're competing with your friends there's so much pressure put on it yeah it's unnecessary and I <laughs> don't advocate for that at all. I think what I'm always trying to encourage people to do is to like shut out the noise and have like a real heart to heart with themselves and or with their, their partner. partner and yeah. To, yeah. And try to figure out what the two of you want because you know, the other piece of that equation is that we live in a really bride-centric culture. We give brides, I mean, there's website, like a huge wedding blog website called Brides. Like there's not, there's nothing out there called grooms. Um, So I think that that's a lot of pressure that we put on women too, to like have this picture perfect experience. I'm always telling people like, check your expectations at the door because perfection doesn't exist. And for some reason, this is the last living fantasy of the modern world in my experience is that you can have a perfect day. I mean, we've all heard it where they're like, this is your day. It's like, no, this isn't your day at all. That's crazy talk. (laughs) This day belongs to so many. It's so emotional. Like you see your pictures of your grandparents' wedding and blah, blah, blah. And I always think even like uh, just as a, a queer woman, I always think of like, you know, just as straight people are starting to be like, we don't really care about weddings. Queer people are like, we want to go balls to the wall because we want to have all these like pictures and stuff that we didn't get to have in the 1940s or whatever. Is the industry like following or resisting? Like what are the tr- what's the trend that you see like in the wedding industry? Is there sort of a trend towards paring down or is or is it like we're all going to die under Trump? Let's just go crazy. So the way I think about that is the fight for and against marriage. So there's these two simultaneous fights happening, right? There's the queer fight for marriage to have the right to get married. And then there's the heterosexual fight to not have to get married, which it's coinciding in the same period of time, which is super fascinating. But when you get down to it, it really is the same thing. And what it is, is the right to choose, the right to dictate how you want to express the way you feel for somebody else and not being concerned about whether or not conventional society says that that's what you need or that's okay. When you work in the industry, how do you approach like pricing and stuff from a psychological standpoint? Pricing is tough. I am, so my background is in studio art. 
I went to school for ceramics and metalsmithing. Whoa, and that's very stu- cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as a studio artist, it is a challenge for me to figure out my worth. Um, I don't know why that is, but it's really hard to price something. And for cake, it's especially hard because you can kind of look at it two ways. Um, the work that I do is highly artistic. So I really emphasize quality over quantity. I take on a very limited amount of bookings and I try to work with people that will give me some level of creative freedom or at least want to collaborate with me because um, there's a lot of plagiarism in this industry, which is it's really the only creative industry where we don't talk about plagiarism. What do you mean? Doing um, the cake? Trends. Doing the cake the same? Um, yeah, like trends are rampant and people bring me photographs of other people's work all the time and ask me to recreate it. And if you did that in just about any other creative industry, you would get a hearty hell no. I only not, I know but, that you're not supposed to do that with tattoos, that that's like... This is where I'm at in my life. That you're not supposed to. <laughs> you're not supposed to do Ditto, that with I'm tattoos. I'm always there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but I mean, you're not supposed to do that. Period. Right. Like, you're not. You wouldn't go to an artist, a painter, and show and show them, um, you know, a photo of somebody else's painting and say, "I want this." If I was getting married, I would put together a crack team, and then I would ask them what they wanted to do, and I would let them pitch ideas to me based on what I loved, because that makes sense to me, because then I'm not going to have the McWedding of 2017. I'm going to have a wedding that's specific to my partner and I, and I'm not going to fall into a trend hole. (laughs) But people don't, you know, we haven't quite gotten there yet, but I'm hoping that we're moving in that direction. In terms of pricing, um, the product that I'm offering, I'm pretty strict about like, quality and the work that I'm putting out there. On the one hand, it's a piece of art. And on the other hand, it's a cookie. One of the things I do is like a hand-painted cookie. I charge like $10 a cookie and it's a sugar cookie. And from that perspective, like that's bonkers. Like (laughs) I'm pricing for a client, first of all, that I don't necessarily identify with because I'm not made of money and I can't spend $10 on a cookie. But when you come at it from an artistic perspective, like you're buying a small piece of artwork that happens to be edible. So then you have to consider that price point. And then when you look at it that way, you're like $10 for a small illustration is like wicked cheap. (laughs) So I'm constantly trying to figure out how to like hit this space in the middle where it's like, it feels preposterous for a baked good, but it's like still manageable when you think about it as a piece of art. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Has the the podcast changed the way you do your business at all? Yes and no. I mean, I think there's a fear in this industry to take too firm of a stance in opposition of all of the things that make people money. So um, it was a little bit intimidating to expose myself like that to go on record as saying you don't need to spend money on these things right and you know have when a that's your job your partner yeah exactly and and to talk about money too because we do a really good job of glossing over just about everything in this industry and making it seem really shiny and pretty and perfect and then underneath that there's like a whole sea of 
confusion and indecision and mistakes and debt and um, and unrealistic expectations to me at the root of all of that. Um, so how did we get to, I mean, you talked about how the traditions are sort of, I mean, at least in American weddings, we reach this place where all these traditions are sort of set. Like, how did we get here? The term industry is really interesting to me because it implies to me at least like Wall Street, you know, or like these people working in these sky rises, making all of these decisions that the rest of us follow suit. And what's interesting about the wedding industry is that it's actually um, an industry comprised almost exclusively of small female business owners. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. And it's a huge industry for women to make money and women to work. Exactly. It's like an industry that's pretty much by and for women for the most yeah. part. Um, and that's oh, changing, so now I now I feel bad for like belittling it. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it's I mean, how would you know that? I mean, I didn't know that when I got into the industry. I had no idea. Yeah. And when I realized that it was comprised predominantly of small business owners that were women, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And it deserves so much more than it even gives itself credit for. Like it, I think, could be so much more intimate and revolutionary than it is. And it's just going to take a lot of really honest conversation and a few people who are on the front lines of that innovation who are willing to take a stance and maybe piss some people off. (laughs) So that's Jasmine's experience. But are her suspicions true? Maybe that's just the plight of an artist working against the grain in a sprawling, multi-million dollar industry. I also spoke to wedding expert Anne Chertoff, who's appeared in the pages of the New York Times, the LA Times, Martha Stewart Weddings, and beyond. And she says Jasmine's right. Things are changing. After the weddings of the 80s and the 90s personalization really came in in the early 2000s as a way for people to put their personal mark on their wedding and their wedding was not going to be cookie cutter like their older sister's wedding or even their mother's wedding. I got married in the early 2000s and friends of mine that got married in 04 and 05 and 06 it was like I don't want a cookie cutter wedding I don't want a cookie cutter wedding. You don't really hear that phrase as much anymore because you don't expect it to be cookie cutter but I think as long as people are able to make the party feel like them and not that it's like about their parents or what just their parents want, which is what it was for the decades before. You know, it was like the mother planned the wedding. Like my mother got married at 19. She, my her mother planned her wedding. You know, so with my turn, my mother wasn't planning my wedding, you know, but I think that was the expectation for decades. And now this is an idea for the couples to be like, no, 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 we're paying for the wedding. We're older. We have a sense of style. This is how we want to celebrate with our friends. And are more people paying for their weddings themselves? Definitely you have a lot more people paying for weddings themselves or paying for part of the wedding themselves. So, you know, now about 30% of, you know, the wedding is covered by the couple. So you still have a big chunk paid by the bride's family or a combination of the bride's family and the couple themselves. The groom's family, they're slowly contributing more and more to the process. But um, you're definitely seeing as couple, I mean, the average age of people getting married is around 30. So they have money on their own. They know what they want. They don't want strings attached when mom and dad are paying the bills. I mean, it's a large profit industry. Do you think that you're able to do that because you're in such a, the people that are 
getting married are in such an emotional place. Like everyone's running so high that they're like, yeah, I'll spend a, a crazy amount on stuff that maybe I, in, if I wasn't feeling this way, I wouldn't spend this much on. I think people get really excited about it. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, my God, we can have an ice sculptor in the shape of us and we can shoot vodka down the sides of our, you know, heads or whatever. And that'll be so cool. And that's if you love that, then go for it. But, you know, there are things like that where you're like, when else in your life are you going to have something like this at a party? Um, So there are those kinds of things. I think with anything with a wedding, there's a lot of contracts involved. There's it's a lot of business and budgeting and finance. And, you know, important decisions that you have to make, especially financially. So I think it's important early on in the process to decide, one, what's important to you, where you're going to have it, who's going to be with you when when you're going to have it. And then also, how much are you going to spend on this? Who's contributing what? Where is that money going? And then really create a plan of where you're putting those things so that you're not in the situation where it's a month before your wedding and you've spent all your money because you needed to have an Elvis impersonator show up for 30 minutes, you know, and then you wanted the Sinatra impersonator to show up for 30 minutes. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, I never hired an efficient. I have no money for that guy to marry us. So I think, you know, you have to put your priorities in order. I wonder if it's also like now because of the economy, it's like people don't want to show off their wealth as much. Like there's not, you know, like there's more of a, a thing of like, hey, congratulations, you figured out a cool way to save money or you're being private versus like this push that used to be like show off your ostentatious wealth. Totally agree. You know, you're seeing, you know, ever since the Great Recession, you saw a lot of wealthy people who still had money and they wanted to have these million, these million dollar weddings for their kids, but they were taming it down a little bit, you know, so they, you know, might change a couple things they might not have done before, but also they're asking their guests to refrain from using their cell phones and refrain from sharing pictures. And some planners I know have even set up ways for people to check their phones at the door, so to speak, so that you couldn't take pictures. And these aren't celebrities. These are just super wealthy people. And they just didn't, in the time of, you know, recession, they didn't want to have a backlash of, like, people are losing their homes and there's a high unemployment rate, and yet these wealthy people are spending all their money on on weddings. So, you are seeing that a little bit where people just don't want to show off as much they have. You know, there's a lot of stories about millennials that are putting off adulthood or that, you know, can't afford to do a lot of stuff. Um, but it seems like a lot of people are st- are still getting married. Um, but like it's happening later, right? Like people are getting married later in life. That is that a fine. You think there's like a financial reasons for that or? Well, People are now around, you know, 29 for women and 31 for guys, you know, and depending on where you are in the country. Like if you live in, you know, more, you know, the south, you might be a little bit more younger. If you live in an urban area, you might be a little bit older. So you're generally around young 30s when you're when average age of getting married. And I think there's a lot of things with that. You know, one, you're going to you're going to college. You know, you might most people are not getting married in college these days. You know, you're graduating college. You're on your own. You want to, you know, figure out your career path. You want to figure out yourself. You want to travel. You want to be with your friends and you want to and you have to meet new people. So. You know, it used to be you'd meet the person in college, you'd marry them right away. The woman wasn't expected to work anyway. So you have a new generation where it's like people are older when they're getting married. Um, A lot of people I knew who grew up in the 80s and parents were divorced. They were very hesitant in making sure that they made the right decision when they got married. Um, And I think that that has a lot to do with it also. It seems so stressful, like the planning of this perfect day and trying to make it and like spending all this money to have a perfect day. Like, I guess I'm the whole this whole episode. I'm torn between like we should nobody we shouldn't do this because it's just like a waste of money versus like, I don't know. Everything seems bad. We're on the verge of nuclear war. May as well throw a party and like watching movies where like weddings are, you know, it's like you see all these movies where 
it's like during a, a famine or during a terrible, you know, time, but people are still getting married. And it's this tradition that's like been a little bit of happiness in our lives, you know. Totally. And I think that today it's nice to have these moments where you can be together with family and friends because you don't get that a lot. You know, when do you see everybody? You see them at a funeral. You see them maybe at a christening or a bar mitzvah and you see them at a wedding. I just think it's like it's a great excuse for everyone to get together. It's not like, oh, we're going to have a family reunion. Hope you can make it. It's like we're getting married. You better come to the wedding. And I think it's that kind of once in a once in a lifetime, you know, hopefully you do it once and you get it right. And and it's just everybody comes together. And it doesn't like I said before, like it doesn't have to be this million dollar over the top thing. Like if you want to just go to City Hall and then have like a backyard barbecue, that's totally fine. And you should totally do that. It can be a wonderful day in so many ways. Like the the moment that you remember might be your first kiss or it might be, you know, your mom give, making a toast. And you don't know what that moment is going to be that you're going to take away from it. After the break, we'll talk to Upworthy senior editor Rebecca Eisenberg, who's in the midst of planning a wedding as we speak. I can't believe she had time to talk to us. And she can't believe how much it costs to celebrate a love that she and her partner already feel pretty certain about. So what's the money actually for? Stay tuned. Rebecca Eisenberg and her partner have been together for nine years. Nine. That's longer than a lot of people who get married stay married. And they're only just now deciding to tie the knot. Why now? And why spend the insane amount of money it costs to do it? The first thing that you find when you Google is that like the average cost of a wedding these days is $30,000. And I remember a time not that long ago when like that was my yearly salary. And so the thought of dropping that for like one day... You're like, surely there has to be another way into this. My fiance and I got engaged back in November um, and we like sort of made the conscious decision not to start wedding planning right away. We wanted to just like have a couple months to just enjoy being engaged and being able to like honestly say to anyone who asked us, like, when's the wedding? What are you doing? To just be like, we don't know. We're not talking about it yet. We're not even there yet. Um, but then, you know, I sort of started looking into things and everyone's like, you need to book all this stuff like a year and a half in advance and this will sell out and you won't get this. And so we started looking at venues and we finally just this month put down like our deposit on our venue and we have our wedding date. But it turns out you don't actually need to do everything a year in advance. So. Oh, really? Only if you're doing like a really, uh, sought after venue? Yeah, if it's, like, highly competitive, sure. I mean, and it's peace of mind. Like, now we don't have to worry about it. But, like, every time we talk to the venues, they're like, yeah, all the days are still open. You said that a lot of the resources you were finding were geared towards people who have, like, been thinking about their wedding since they were, like, four years old and stuff. Um, what's mm-hmm. your what's your position? What's your overview? Like, does it is it are you not that kind of person? Like, what's your view on it? Yeah, I never... Why why are you getting married? (laughs) I mean, I think we're getting married. We've been together nine years, and we're kind of ready for, like, whatever the next step is. We've, like, lived together for five years, and there's still weird things where, like, uh, you know, you have to put your emergency contact, and we're, like, still putting our parents. Like, there's no one else for me. Like I'm not in this as like a trial period. We're not just dating. Like I kind of feel like you're the person and I'm going to be with you for a while, you know, for indefinitely. Like I don't see this ending. And like let's make it official. 
I see it as a very legal thing. I've been surprised um, by people's reaction to that. There are some people who are like, it's a declaration of love. I forgot that it was a legal thing. And I see it kind of very purely like, I love him. He loves me. We know that. Our family and friends know that. Like, I don't need like a public declaration of love, but I am interested in like the exercise of the two of us planning something together and taking this sort of legal step and like becoming officially kind of a family of two. So what do you hope that your wedding will look like? What's your like vision for it? And how does that match up with what you're finding out financially? It's interesting because if you had asked me sort of before we got engaged, I would have been like courthouse wedding, close friends and family will like go out to dinner after. It's like no big deal. But this weird thing happens when you get engaged where all of a sudden like everyone in your family is like, we can't wait to come to the wedding. And all of a sudden your parents are like, oh, we've been holding this money for whenever you got married. And you're like, wait, what? You've been okay, sure. And then because people are giving you money and asking you all these questions. And all of a sudden, it's like actually a lot harder to plan kind of a small wedding. You you like sort of have to shift, or at least I had to shift to this like, okay, I guess we're doing something a little bigger. And I don't know, you kind of have to square the cost of it with like, some of the wedding is for you, but some of it is for your family. It's his family and my family are going to meet. And they're going to spend time together. And, you know, it's partially for you, but it's partially for your family. Rather than having everyone be pissed at you for the courthouse situation. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like, it's not even for you. Like your wedding's not even for you. Most people, right. I think. But it is like when you don't do it the traditional way, then you find yourself being forced to answer those questions over and over and over again and like justify your reasoning and get weird looks. So what costs have surprised you about planning a wedding? I was surprised by the fact that, like, catering and food cost the most. Like, it can cost, like, three times the venue to feed everyone. So at first I was, like, looking at venues, like, oh, these don't seem that expensive. And then, like, you add on the food and it's like, oh, that's four times as much. Because if you think about caterers do it by head, so, like, hypothetically $100 a head for 120 guests, all of a sudden you're looking at $12,000. And then you still have to add on top of that the alcohol or drinks or whatever, plus a cake fee, plus a cake cutting fee. Like it just all of a sudden it can. What is a cake cutting fee? I know. I know. What is a cake cutting fee? I think like because the person who makes the cake sometimes has to be there with the cake and then they cut the cake in a special way so that you I don't know. Like I I I don't know. That is so weird. A cake cutting fee. Okay. So uh, what? how are you guys paying for all this? Uh, we're both very lucky in that our parents kind of surprised us. And after we got engaged, his parents and my parents both were like, oh, by the way, we've been saving this money. We ha- we've had it set aside for whenever you got married. Um, and they've very generously sort of both been like, spend what you spend on the wedding if you go over that's on you if you go under keep the rest as a wedding gift um which is so incredibly kind of them to kind of let us I've had friends whose parents like micromanage their wedding budgets and so we really appreciate that they're giving us this like money and telling us basically be responsible with it but yeah the pressure to be responsible with it is is large 
I don't have an answer to this and I'm not like trying mm-hmm. to be accusatory or anything. I just am, mm-hmm. I can't wrap my mind around like, like just put that as like a down payment on a house or like, I, know. I don't understand the, I don't understand the like commitment to the, this big, but then like, I also, you know, I understand that it's like, it's like a tradition and it's a celebration and you want to be able to show your kids pictures and you want to be able to like, and it's like, you know, this thing that when things seem bleak, there's always a wedding. Like I'm just sort of, I keep coming back to trying to like, some people are like, well, you know, it's just a big party. Like it's just a nice big party and people like nice things. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. Like I can't wrap my mind around it. I'm like my fiance. I'm like driving him nuts by asking this because every time we like make a decision and like the number starts to feel normal to me, like two days later, I'll like shoot up in the middle of the night and be like, wait, wait, like that money is like eight of something. You know, I'm like that. What what that venue is asking could pay our rent for a year. Are we really okay with that? And he's like, yes, stop asking me about it. We're just going to do it. You either have to really commit to the like, I'm keeping this small and then dealing with there's almost even more hassles there because you have to start looking at like your human hours. Like how much time do you have in the day if you're going to DIY 100 centerpieces or whatever it is you need to keep it cheap? Like the trade off is the amount of like human hours that you have to put into making it happen like the big things at least you know going into it you're like okay the food is going to be expensive I'm terrified of the little things that are going to sneak up on you like buying stamps because like you need to have stamps for save the date stamps for invitations stamps to go on pre-addressed stamped envelopes to RSVP and then stamps for thank you notes so that's like 120 guests times four that many stamps And like making sure that you're prepared for that. I was looking up like, is there a way to say like, can you order stamps in bulk and save money? And there are people who for their weddings will buy vintage stamps at a lower Mm -hmm. cost than the stamps value and then put like 10 five cent stamps on every envelope to like save, you know, a hundred bucks on stamps for their wedding. And that's one of those things where you're like, you're saving a hundred dollars, but how much time are you spending putting stamps on envelopes? (laughs) What costs seem out of sync with their emotional value? Are there things that like you're looking forward to emotionally and then like, I don't know, like or what stuff has really hit you? Yeah, we kind of made a list when we started when I was like still trying to wrap my head around all of this where we like sort of categorize different costs by like what's important, what's meh and what's not important to us. So like to us, um, we live in Baltimore and we absolutely love Baltimore, but it's really hard to get people to visit us there. So it was important to us that it was in Baltimore. It was important to us that we had like local Baltimore food that, you know, Baltimore's like we don't have like a color scheme. Baltimore is kind of like the theme of our wedding. Um, so picking a venue that was like central in Baltimore was important. And we both really like my fiance loves cooking and we like love going out to restaurants. So having good food was important to us. So those we were like, OK, we're willing to to spend a little bit more there. But like I don't really care about the dress or having a limo or like the like car with like stuff on the end of it that you like drive off in or you know, things like that. Like, I don't really care if we have, like, the best DJ in Baltimore. I just need someone who's, like, not going to tell sexist jokes. Did you guys 
talk about any of that ahead of time? I wanted to talk about it. I was very anxious about like I'm very money minded, like I'm obsessive about savings and stuff like that. So I really wanted to talk about it. And he really didn't want to talk about it. So even like just getting the engagement ring, because we talked about getting engaged before he actually proposed. And he was like, some of us got to save up for a ring. And I was like, I don't care if you do it with a ring pop. Like (laughs) it doesn't the ring does not matter to me, but it mattered to him. And it mattered to him that he, you know, bought a nice thing. And we went and looked at engagement rings. And like I there were some that I liked that looked not like engagement rings, but he wanted it to look like an engagement ring. And so we had talked a little bit about finances, but I in the end kind of had to be like, okay, this is just the style of ring that I like. And I will let you it's your money. You know, you decide what feels right to you. But we are going to talk about money once we're engaged, (laughs) once we're planning a wedding and. And all that stuff. So I've been very interested in talking about money and the finances of it because I'm fascinated and horrified by like the wedding industrial complex and this I massive know. industry. Even like the whole idea that a ring that the ring should be X amount of money makes me very like nervous. Oh, my God. Every time he'd be like, you know, they say it should be three months salary. I was like, who are they? Who are they and why do we care what they think? (laughs) Like, I don't care. If I don't care, shouldn't that be the only thing that matters? He's like, well, but they. I was like, no. And also, like, I'm going to wear that on my hand. Like, I, I, like, spill on myself all the time. I'm like, I know. know. This is why I I made him go ring. I was like, we have to go ring shopping. I don't wear jewelry. I was like, how are you going to buy something that I have to wear every day that costs supposedly three months salary or less than that? And, like... And I have to wear it every day. I was trying to find a comparison for him. And I was like, how would you like it if the tradition was for an engaged man had to wear like a giant rodeo belt buckle? And he <laughs> didn't get any say in like what it looked like or anything. And I think he was trying to like be cool to like make me just chill out about the ring. But he was like, yeah, I would I would I would wear it. I was like, you would not <laughs> like if you just had to wear whatever giant ass belt buckle I bought you, th- and I was like, that cost me three thousand dollars. You need to wear it every day. You would not be happy about that. You would want to go and go to the store and look at the belt buckles with me before I picked one out. I felt very weird about the imbalance of it. That like we decided together that we're ready, but he still gets to ask the question, and I just have to wait until he's ready. And then he spends all this money on a thing for me, but like I don't have to. What do do you give him? him. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually did. I, I, this was helpful. I was Googling and and looking around and reading a bunch of forums and stuff. And I did actually get him. I I waited, you know, after he proposed and everything, I did get him like a nice watch um, that he wears all the time now. But I just like it, it was expensive. It wasn't like engagement ring expensive, but. I just the little like financial imbalance made me so uncomfortable and even just the symbolism like if I have to wear something every day like I want you to wear something every day. It's just so funny that it's like a thing that you're like expected to do to the point that your parents even kept a fund for it. What if you had been like yeah, I don't want to get was, married. I know that that was kind of and like if I, I don't know if my parents are going to listen to this but like I want them to know that I seriously appreciate what they've given us. But at the same time, there was like a little voice in the back of my head that was like, I've been with him for nine years. If we had never reached this point, was my relationship not worth this? Like, 
what were right. you when did you get the money, money? <laughs> you know it was kind of, i was like what it, when we would you it was it when we would buy a house you'd be like oh by the way we were gonna use this for when you got married but now or were you, were you just gonna and fine it's their money they can keep it for themselves if they want to but there was this kind of weird like nothing has really changed in our relationship we're the same people we've been together nine years and yet there's something about you say, oh, we're getting married. And all of a sudden people want to send you gifts and give you money. And the, it, something just changes. It's weird. Coming up, my mom. She becomes the first member of the Bad With Money three-time guest club. Find out why a lot of my suspicions about marriage come from the one and only Karen Grainer Dunn. Mom, will you say uh, who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Karen Grainer Dunn, and I am a family law attorney. When I was growing up, um, all the time I would sort of hear about your work in divorce and child custody. Uh, and so do you think that that colored your view of marriage at all? No. I was married before I did divorce work. I started out, I married Daddy in 84, and I started out at that point I was doing criminal law. And then I got into dependency and delinquency, uh, which involved kids, and that Mm -hmm. necessarily filtered into divorce work. I feel like you kind of made it like uh, I should be careful, at least, more so than other moms would be. What did you say to me? I'm not the typical Jewish mother. Um, Yeah, I wanted more for you. I mean... Companionship is more important than marriage, and if you find the right companion, then you can work through a relationship. Um, Marriage changes people, and someone that you think you knew at the time you got married changes dramatically, and I've seen that happen. I've seen where I've seen good people at their worst. What's like an expensive divorce case or how much like how like just to give people that are because this whole episode's about weddings but just to give people the flip side of what the cost could be they can go anywhere from an uncontested divorce or a simplified divorce which could cost a couple thousand dollars maybe to cases that i've done where they're 30 40 dollars when you get done what are some of the costs uh, in, a, in a divorce that you wouldn't normally think about beyond the attorney's fees? If there are children and custody matters um, in contention, then you'd have a guardian ad litem, which most times is another attorney, so you're paying a third attorney to be involved in the case. If there's uh, assets, extensive assets, then you have a forensic accountant who has to come in, especially if there's a, a business, um, so you have that person. You could have um, uh, evaluations by a psychologist. Your children could go to a therapist. In Florida, even to file a divorce and to and to get service of process on somebody is almost $500 just to get started. And there used to be that when you were served with a divorce petition, you could file your own counter petition and you didn't have to pay for it. Now it's an additional $295 just to pay for filing a counterpetition alleging protecting your own rights. 
So, I mean, I feel like you were never super into the whole like wedding thing. I'm not saying that you like steered me clear of marriage, but I think like subconsciously your job sort of colored my like view of it as this perfect thing, which is not necessarily bad. I mean, we've had conversations in the past when you've been in relationships and I remember you're asking me what's the number one reason for divorce and I told you it was money and jealousy. You're talking about like career jealousy or like success jealousy. Yes, yes. I just finished one that uh, he's a real loser and she's become a, a speech therapist and uh, and he just tormented her um, because she became something more professional than he was. So money being the number one reason for divorce, what kind of money problems? There's not enough of it. Um, There's debt. There's the house is underwater. There's no interest on the side of one spouse to keep consistent employment. So the other spouse finds themselves in a position of having to work long hours and support the family. Mm-hmm. Um, laziness, just laziness. So, okay, for spending on a wedding, because I know you told me a little bit about your wedding um, when we were talking <laughs> about it. <laughs> it was awful. Sp- it was, yeah, okay, so do you want to say a little bit about why it was awful? Sure. Um, I had graduated from law school. I had gone out on my own in pr- and was practicing privately. I had started to save up some money, so I had an investment account for the first time. I had student loans that I was paying. I didn't have help from my family. And when Daddy proposed, we were were visiting Joshua at camp, and we came back on the plane, and we had a list of including family and friends of about 70 people. Mm -hmm. And your... (laughs) I guess maybe she'll hear this, but one of the family members decided that they were going to invite another 100 people, and I I couldn't afford it. I just, I was on my own. I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about a place, we're talking about extra food, we're talking about liquor. I mean, I, I couldn't do it. Right. And they, this family member did not offer to pick up the difference. It was they were going to pay for the things traditionally paid for by the groom, the rabbi, whatever. Yeah. So So about 10 days before the wedding, Daddy and I were living together about 10 days before the wedding. I woke up and just told him I couldn't do it. I couldn't marry him. And we wound up sending out, we called them disinvites. We sent them to people and told them they weren't invited to the wedding. And I... I must have been, I was a size two. They couldn't, they couldn't keep up with taking in the dress and the stress. And by the time your grandmother got here from New York, she was royally raging because yeah. I had had to go through this. You don't, you don't seem interested in our, in us having weddings in the slightest. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where, where a wedding can be anything. I mean, yeah. a wedding could be in a pizzeria. A wedding could be underwater. I mean, I know your friends have gotten married, and they've had the big traditional wedding. I -hmm. never envisioned that for you because you're much more creative than that. So I always envision something very different for you, something that reflects you. Something a little less expensive, huh? 
No, something a little more creative. Not, not yeah, not good way sexy. of looking at it. <laughs> no, honey. It's just, I don't no, see no. you in a white dress. I'm, I mean, I definitely no. don't see you in a white dress. No, a suit. You're terrible at being a Jewish mom. <laughs> I'm terrible at being a Jewish mom. Get sick and you can have my magic soup, but get married and eh, there'll be some things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> So you can see why I didn't have traditional thoughts about marriage. Uh, A little bit, I was, you know, I'm a queer woman and I was like, well, I don't know who I'll fall in love with, so I don't know if I'll be able to get married. Then I was able to. I also grew up, you know, with a mom who was very cautious about this kind of thing. I guess I completely understand why some people like weddings now, because life is bleak and There needs to be little bright spots and things for people to look forward to. And the most compelling argument that I heard this whole episode was that it gets everyone together. It gets your friends together. It gets your family together. It's an excuse for everyone to be together, for everyone to fly in, for everyone to have pictures and memories. And I guess there's not really a lot of opportunities for families to do that now because we're so spread out. So that makes sense. But... I still say, be sensible. And if sensible to you means you can spend some money on that instead of a down payment on a house, kudos. But don't give in to other people. I also think you could be married and have an open marriage. I also think that definitely polyamorous people can can get married. But it's also like, you're not necessarily committing to one person for forever. So... I just can't, I can't wrap my mind around $30,000 for a party. I'm sorry. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Bad With Money. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. And be sure to tell all your friends who are bad with money that this is the show for them. Also tell your friends who have no problem dropping $30,000 on a single party and then buying tickets for the most incredible vacation they'll ever take. Oh, God, I forgot about the honeymoon. Ask them what it's like. It sounds pretty great. We're part of the Panoply Network. Our producer is Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is Panoply's director of production. And Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Original music for our show was composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. And our show art is by Cameron Glavin and Dan Blondell. I'm Gabby Dunn. See you next week.